1: What's the football focus doing? Last week they had Brady, this week they got Brainy. We're doing it, we're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward yeah. from this point on, I will not make reference to the Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. Alright, so, we're going team by team. I will be very careful tonight and stuff. Am I going to get too You got legal on this? I yeah,
0: like football, like football season all the things that go with it.
1: Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzola, Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube on a Wednesday. It's our midweek show, which, mean, which means uh, hey, we can talk about anything here. No. today, great. Uh, the what do title you want to talk says about? NFL midseason awards. <laughs> Forget that. All Pro team. We'll probably talk a little bit about that, but we've got emails. We have winnings. Yeah, we have bets.
0: We got our first uh, payment. The guy that cashed out his bet because he was on the hook for two hundred dollars worth of coffee. Uh wanted to cash out early because one of his bets had already gone to hell. Um, although, actually, in fairness, he wanted out before Kirk Cousins stores Achilles. Uh, he sent us $100 worth of Death Wish coffee. So yeah. here it is, lined up beautifully in front of the desk here. On the desk, I guess.
1: Yeah. Death Wish is not a sponsor, but they no. might as well be here because, <laughs> yeah. uh, look, they're getting free, uh, for free publicity free to at advertising. least 40 people right That's now. right. To at least 40 people. Live in the chat. Mm-hmm. 33 uh, so- now. So, yeah, we got uh, all sorts of fun stuff. We'll talk a little NFL trends, scoring's down, why is it down, all sorts of fun stuff.
0: hmm Where do you want to start? Well, if we can go anywhere, let's, just, let's
1: go outside the box. Where do you want to, what do you want to talk about? And we have news. Let's talk NFL news. Okay. Carson Wentz uh, has been signed by the Los Angeles Rams. He has. A full circle move, even. Is it full circle? It's not full circle no. at all. I liked how, uh, I think it was Rap Sheet was saying, the Rams have now had four first-rounders from the 2016 class. Four, like, top 12 picks or whatever. Uh, Jalen Ramsey, Wentz, Goff, and someone else. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And people who say the Rams don't have first-rounders, they get them later. They get them later, yeah. yeah. It's like, I forget Was it the- Let someone else test drive them.
0: The Falcons, at one point, had assembled, like, seven first-round defensive linemen or yeah. something. It's like, you know, there's,
1: oh, look at the number. They're all bad. That's why they're on the Falcons no. and not wherever the hell they were drafted. They just got... You know, run into the ground by other teams. Nah, okay. And then, or, or uh, other teams got to experience their inexperience. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, anyway. Carson Wentz might be uh, playing some football for the Rams while Matthew Stafford's hurt.
0: Yeah. Perhaps, potentially. I mean, what, so when is their bye? It's upcoming sometime. Is it now, or have they got another week before the bye? Well done. Thank you. I should, I mean, you know, some people, Let's professional say. people, might have looked at this before the show.
1: Uh, no, we, this is like, um, I like the, wen- the Wednesday show. Uh, is like us inviting you into our conversation that's happening on the fly. Yeah, right. they're on their bye right now. Yeah, I was actually go. thinking of this the so other day. So you might not play at all. I mean, they're just. I think, I think there's a um, a certain level of us. Sometimes, like, so you can over prepare. I think, could for podcasts. We don't. You can under prepare as well. <laughs> okay, which line are we closer to? I'm not going to say. <laughs> But there's, I think there's something like a little cute about the way we, like on the fly, will be like, hey, this thing came to our mind. Let's go research it on the fly with the people. It's like we're bringing you into our, you know, the research discussion. Mm.
0: Anyway, the point I was making is that they have a buy right now. He might not see the field at all. Honestly, this feels like a, a manifestation of the fact that Carson Wentz might have accepted life as a, an NFL backup at this point. Like yeah. he, I mean, obviously he's a backup when Stafford gets back. But like, there might not even be any opportunity here, other than simply somebody is willing to to give you a deal to come and sit on an NFL roster for them. We'll see.
1: We'll see how quickly Stafford can get back here. But they play the Seahawks in a couple weeks, uh, November nineteenth. So you've got uh, about eleven days to get ready for the next game if you're Carson Wentz or Matthew Stafford. So yeah, is there anything I mean, else to add to that? Brett, I mean, the Brett Rippen experience. Brett Rippen got cut. Yeah. Yesterday it was not a great game for him on Sunday. And so the Rams brought Wentz into the building.
0: Yeah, I, I, that's the thing. It's a reflection more, I think, of Brett Rippon and the fact that Stafford has, you know, a fairly extensive injury history and may miss time generally than it is, uh, oh, look, there's any kind of, not a competition, but like, you know, a real chance of him starting a significant period of time. I think it's simply Stafford gets hurt a lot. We've already had to put Brett, Brett Ripon in a game. It went atrociously so we'll go in a different direction there and Carson Wentz you know is is probably a better quarterback than Brett Ripon. you would hope
1: Rams sitting at three and six that has them right now currently as the number 12 seed in the uh, NFC but anybody like right now the Vikings are the seven seed at five and four it's still pretty wide open there because we're halfway through the season there's a lot of teams with you know four and five records three and six records who are still technically you know in the mix Mm. hashtag in the mix the chat
0: doesn't the chat doesn't come with uh, heat all the time, you know, because people like Walt are in there. But that's a phenomenal question that's in there that I'm going to put to you right now okay. because you need you need to answer it. Brian Linehan asked the question, do you think that Arthur Smith, as the son of a billionaire, doesn't use his high-value draft pick because he views them as appreciating investments like sports cars, paintings, or trading cards? You know, you get these people that buy, like, a Ferrari, and they don't drive it because it's just depreciating it. You put it in a airtight bubble in the garage where it just goes up in value. And then you sell it in the future. So Bijan Robinson is his Ferrari. Why would I put miles on that clock?
1: Oh, man, this is good. This This hits at so many levels, right? Brian Linehan, great job in the chat. Appreciate you being here with us on a Wednesday. He's speaking to you right person who wants to understand the billionaire mm. and you know it's it's just one layer removed the billionaire's son and trying to get into the psyche yeah. of yeah i've sport. never
0: understood those people i mean in my eyes the people that buy those cars and just sit them in, in a garage and never touch them are assholes like the whole point of being a billionaire is that you can take your ferrari wreck it and it doesn't matter now the one one yeah exactly yeah. it doesn't matter if you ruin it now the people that i understand a bit more You see them racing at like the Goodwood Festival of Speed and stuff where it's like a 50 million pound Ferrari tearing around and getting, you know, putting it in serious jeopardy. There are people that essentially create like absolute replicas of those things, right? Like they build them from the ground up. It's identical to the original one, but it's not an original one. So it's not worth the same amount of money. And they will therefore race the replica one, because if you wreck that one, it doesn't matter. It just costs you money and it's not... You know, it's not the original thing that you're damaging. Those people I understand. The people that just go, no, I'm not, I can't, I can't drive this thing. That would be terrible. Those people I don't get. So if you're a billionaire, there's no point in being a billionaire unless you're going to take the fancy toy and
1: use it. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the interesting question there with Arthur Smith, and he had some, she had some more quotes that people were responding to <laughs> yesterday. What do you say now? Um, I don't like doing this. The quote Duncan. I don't like quote Duncan.
0: Don't quote Duncan. Just tell me what he said. Well,
1: uh, but, but I also I didn't hear the context or whatever. I don't know if he's I don't know if he's just trolling people at this point. He has to be. But um, he said something like Bijan's really good. Quote away from the ball. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, that was it. Tyler Algier is one of the best goal line runners in the NFL. But I'm an Algier guy. I'm not going to deny that. And I mean you could you could make fun of Arthur Smith all you want. I told you on the review show Tyler Algier his. Short yardage runs the other day should have been the difference in the game if Josh, Josh Dobbs wasn't, you know, superhuman in the comeback attempt. Algier should have had the game winner. He was, he was really good running down the stretch after he sucked the first half of the game. <laughs> I'm just saying. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, those are the quotes people were kind of yeah. I mean back onto. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> He's, it's one of those things that just sounds silly even when, you're, even when you're right, you know. Like he probably is pretty good away from the ball. He probably is quite a good decoy these are things that are all true, Uh, it's probably still not the best way of using them. You know, that's the point overall. Like, Randy Moss, at his peak, would have made a great decoy. Doesn't mean that that's all you employ Randy Moss for when he's busy carving up people for 23 touchdowns. You know, put the ball in the air let Randy Moss go to work. Like, Bijan Robinson is probably an outstanding decoy. He's also an outstanding running back, so just give him the damn ball and watch magic happen.
1: That's what I would probably do. Yeah. Is give him the ball a little bit more. Um, I will say, old uh, former PFFer Scott Barrett, I think, was very tongue in cheek with his analysis here, but it's kind of true. The fact that Arthur, it's a, it's a weird history for Arthur Smith, right? Because you could, on one hand, say John U. Smith's having his, you know, John New Smith has only really produced under Arthur Smith mm-hmm. in Tennessee and now in Atlanta with an absolute dud in New England in the middle after getting paid. Uh, Cordero Patterson. He turned into a full-time running back, (coughs) full-time, right? Patriots had dabbled. Arthur Smith's like, full-time running back. Right. He was awesome. Algier, fifth-round pick, who had an excellent grade last year, over five yards of carry last year. Like, there's this world where Arthur Smith has done well with the non-Ferraris, but now he also has Ferraris, too, and you got to figure out that balance.
0: I just feel like he is the type of person obsessed with overthinking it, right? Yeah. Like I, <clears throat> you're going to be expecting this, so I'm going to come out of my world. I'm going to spend the next you know weeks trying to devise something that you can't possibly be expecting. So we're going to end up with you know a Taylor Heineke to Scotty Miller connection. That's what that that's the game plan this week because they're never going to be expecting that. Like sometimes the thing that you're expecting is expected because it's your best way of winning. Like don't overthink it. I just think he's. There are some coaches that don't overthink things. There are some coaches that don't think things through enough. Uh, and then there's the other end of the spectrum. Like, you know, you can overprepare, you can underprepare. Well, you can overthink things or you can underthink things. He is definitely on the overthinking side of that range of
1: outcomes, probably too far. So he's got some new skills to learn, like putting in uh, Bijan Robinson on the goal line, just like as a parent. You've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family, Sam. How to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies, plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. So get your personalized quote in just minutes. And then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to cover it in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policy issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Yeah. All right, do you want to talk a little bit about this uh, all-pro team and... I didn't see the all-pro team. I saw mid-season awards uh-huh. by our guy Gordon McGinnis. <clears throat> okay. One of the uh, almost originals at PFF. Almost originals. <laughs> Him and I were hired full-time right around the same time, 2011, 2012. 2012. Um, the MVP race that you love discussing. Mm. Uh, doesn't, there's no real consensus here. I don't think there's a real consensus for MVP. Gordon went with Lamar Jackson. Um, all we always talk about the quarterback being, you know, the guy for MVP. Um, if you just look at our highest graded quarterbacks or the most valuable quarterbacks using PFF WAR, you would you would land at guys like Lamar Jackson, seven and two Ravens, Josh Allen, but his team's only five and four. Sam, yeah. You see, Patrick Mahomes is not having the same type of statistical season. They're seven and two, but it's far more of a defensive driven uh, effort by the uh, the Chiefs this year. Tua who I think statistically is having maybe the best year, but you know they haven't done much against good teams. Um, honestly, Kirk Cousins and Jared Goff. Uh, Kirk Cousins, before getting hurt, would have put probably been in the discussion, given what Minnesota's been doing. Jared Goff in the Lions. Trevor Lawrence maybe has a chance to, to get into the mix with the Jags, who are 6-2. and two. Jalen Hurts with the Eagles, because they're 7-1. But nobody on that list it's like man this is a slam dunk so gordon went with uh, lamar jackson here which which i get
0: yeah there have been some people pointing out um this season that the winner of mvp so it's always with all these awards you have the question of who win, will win versus who should win uh either way this year i think it's a question mark so far through the first half of the year but people have been pointing out that the winner of mvp typically goes to somebody ranked very highly in total epa essentially
1: right so basically how good was the team's offense i'm gonna all i'm gonna say is mm-hmm. the nerds who looked at that yes the nerds i say that in it's an endearing term it's not should also just look at have you tested the same thing against a passer rating yeah because well, I think I think passer rating would give you the same results. I mean, I'm not I, saying it's a better stat. I'm just saying, yes. The I think. implication, really quick. The implication there is that the voters understand EPA, use EPA, in in, in that that's the driver. When the reality is pass, like they understand passer rating, they look at passer rating and touchdown to interception ratio, which is the biggest driver of passer rating, and passer rating is probably the thing that. Get you there more than anything else, or as much as EPA. So carry on. I don't know if I'm it's even that complicated.
0: To- I think it's just sort of saying that this particular statistic Let's essentially see. is articulating I'm going the backwards. thing that voters are using, which is who's at the helm of the best offense, who happens to win. Like, I think you could predict MVP by looking at like two or three very, very blunt parameters, which is the quarterback of a very good offense who has won enough games. Is that. Those are the only two things we're looking for here. Yeah, I mean, if you win ten plus games and your offense ranks in the top three of the NFL, you're probably MVP. Yeah, you're the in the end. You're in the mix, right? Anyway, the point being, uh, at various points through the first eight nine games of the season, there was a front runner for this, but then every one of those front runners had a couple of games where they played badly. Yeah. So Brock Purdy for a while was like running away. With total EPA, and then Brock Purdy had a couple of bad games, and now people are people are like, is Brock Purdy even good anymore? Uh, Josh Allen was right up at the sharp end, but Josh Allen had the meltdown on in Week One against the Jets, and then Josh Allen threw an interception and was outdueled by Joe Burrow uh, against the Bengals on Sunday night. Tua has been you know right at the sharp end of this thing, but the Dolphins' offense runs off the rails every time they run up against a good defense. So Tua's shine is, is washing off. Jalen Hurts has been pretty good, but not, you know, as, not even as good as he was last year. It seems hard to make a case for MVP for him. Mahomes, that offense has not been firing. Like, there isn't a clear
1: MVP candidate, honestly. was oh nine oh nine was the year Peyton won, I think, MVP. Okay. But Drew Brees, like, the last time passer rating wasn't the biggest driver was 2009 when Breeze led the league in passer rating, led the league in touchdowns, and apparently, because he never got an MVP vote. Is that right, Breeze? Was that a a thing?
0: Well, he never won
1: MVP. He probably got a vote, because we would hear more about that, like the Russell Wilson thing. I mean, it's literally, it's been passer rating every year, except when Lamar was third in his year, and Cam was like sixth or seventh. But both of those guys added so much rushing value Breeze got seven and a half votes that year seven and a half votes but Peyton won MVP yep yeah probably should have been Breeze that year anyway um so yeah that was um that's including regular and postseason but it doesn't matter it's passer ratings right up there (laughs) this would be one of those years though if you're looking for other far of that year but like if so everybody expected Mahomes to be the favorite this year he still has this opportunity to play the Bills the Bengals like they'll All of these guys have big games. Joe Burrow's already thrown his name in the mix now because people might, at the end of the day, say, okay, if Burrow just continues this run, he's been the highest-graded quarterback over the last three weeks. If Burrow continues his run, he'll be right there in the mix. He gets to play the Ravens, the Chiefs. I mean, my point
0: point is I don't think there's a good MVP candidate in the first half of the season. I imagine one will emerge with with double the sample size, essentially. But right now... You can make a case for half a dozen guys, and I don't think any of them are particularly compelling versus the others.
1: Um, it, because of that, if you're talking right now, is there a case for A.J. Brown or Tyreek Hill?
0: There's as strong a case as you can ever construct for a non-quarterback because there's no good quarterback case at the moment. Yeah. Or there, the the best quarterback cases that you can make at the moment are the ones that like convent, that won't win because
1: they don't have the stats well, or the whatever. Well, the argument here would be okay if all those guys that we listed, is there a is there a huge difference between the top eight or ten quarterbacks right now? But is the is there a huge difference between what AJ Brown and Tyree Kill have added to their respective offenses? Like okay. that would be where the case comes from. Yes. Um, and then from a defensive perspective, you could say, okay, is there is Miles Garrett in this mix? Um, I don't know if the traditional voters would would view him in the same lens that we are. I mean, he's in the middle of his of his, and historic season, at and and so he'll be our he was our defensive player of the uh, defensive player of the year option. But Garrett's in the middle of a of an incredible season, on pace to to break PFF records of domination for a defense that's putting up ridiculous numbers in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. So if there's ever a defensive case, maybe it's this year. Uh, we have him with ten sacks. I don't know what the uh, what the NFL has. But that's not, like on paper, there's there's four guys with 10 PFF sacks. Again, I don't know what the NFL has there, but um, that's probably not enough to separate Garrett right now because, you know, he's one of four that have that many sacks. Yeah.
0: No, I find it tough. I mean, you know, my <laughs> my feelings on the MVP award is have been fairly well established. Uh, but as long as we are factoring in value, it's very difficult to see how it can go to anybody other than a quarterback. But this is... This is as close an argument as you can make now because we're halfway through the season. There is no obvious quarterback candidate. Uh, where well, There are two very obvious wide receiver candidates that are crushing it in terms of the value that they're bringing to their teams to the point where you can say, which is more important, Tua or Tyreek Hill? Which is more important, Jalen Hurts struggling through his injuries or A.J. Brown, which is where he goes every time he's in a tight spot? You can make that case at least. I don't know that it's... A tremendously compelling one, but you're closer to being able to
1: convince somebody now than you will ever be at the end of the season. Yeah, <clears> the um, the J- Jalen Hurts and Tua both had massive breakout seasons last year. That coincided with AJ Brown and Tyree Kill being there. Right, and I hear I hear from we hear from the Tua people, right? You know, nobody ever blamed Patrick Mahomes for having Tyree Hill or. Travis Kelsey. Nobody ever blamed Brady for having Moss or Peyton for having Marvin Harrison or whoever you want to mention. I think the, the difference there is we've seen a— with Mahomes, it's a little different because he stepped right into it, but like with Brady or Manning or Brees or Rodgers, like we saw a high baseline of play no matter who they had pretty much. But when they did get the top guys, then it's like, all right, now you're winning MVPs and going to Super Bowls. The problem with Jalen Hurts and Tua— why we want to give so much credit to the receiver is, like, Tua was averaging six yards per attempt, right? Tua was doing nothing of nothing very good in the NFL other than pretty decent win-loss record, right? Was not playing very well. Not a good offense. And then he got Mike McDaniel and Tyree Hill, and things went, you know, through the roof. Jalen Hurts, not great. He was okay. Led the team to the playoffs. Like He played pretty well. But then he became an MVP candidate, got MVP votes the next year when A.J. Brown showed up. Like, that's right. that's the A-B analysis we're doing with, with uh, the two former Bama guys.
0: I always thought it was quite a neat um, statistical quirk along those lines that in '07 Tom Brady's career uh, single-season touchdown number jumped by the exact number of touchdowns Randy Moss brought to the table. Like, he, went, he increased his previous base, or his previous best, By 23 touchdowns, which is the number Moss got that year. In terms of like, hey, how much impact does an elite number one wide receiver have? I just thought that was always a need. These 23 touchdowns. It turns out he has 23 touchdowns impact on Tom Brady's best season. Uh, Okay, well, we've been saying there is no obvious quarterback candidate. Dan O, however, would point out that C.J. Stroud is now an obvious MVP candidate. 14 touchdowns, one interception
1: he's the obvious MVP Stephen he didn't say that he said he's in the discussion like you know it's I don't think it's crazy because they're all in the they're all in the discussion it's not crazy
0: because there's no obvious one
1: yeah but I mean it goes back to um how much the the credit pie and everything Mm -hmm. the Texans I mean playmakers like the is Nico Collins playing well is Dalton Schultz playing well like are they doing good things on the field yes they hadn't. Inst- I mean, Schultz was like a good possession guy in Dallas. Nico Collins was a fine number three receiver with some potential. See, and um, Noah Brown, <laughs> Noah Brown going off on Sunday. How much is C. C. J. Stroud unlocking some of these guys right now? In addition to Bobby Slowick, not just because he's our friend, but he's like the latest rendition of the Shanahan tree going and elevating quarterbacks.
0: Yeah, I mean you know i don't want to <laughs> i don't want to recuse myself of cj stroud analysis because of my priors but i think we can forget the forget the priors for a minute cuz it doesn't
1: really matter it doesn't think,
0: really matter i think we can say that cj stroud is playing extremely well without saying he's mvp like his numbers the num he's not playing as well as the numbers say right the numbers are 14 touchdowns one interception like and 8.1 yards per attempt. That's Those are like league-leading numbers. But even in terms of PFF grade, there is like 15 grading points between Tua and CJ Stroud. So if you were looking at box score numbers and 14 touchdowns, one pick, passer rating, you know yards per attempt, whatever the number is you want to look at, you would say, wow, CJ Stroud has as strong case as anybody. Those numbers are literally unmatched. Nobody else has a 14-to-1 touchdown interception ratio, but... The grade is nowhere near that. He has eight turnover-worthy plays. Now he's thrown the ball mo- more than most people, so he doesn't have a bad turnover-worthy play rate. But
1: eight turnover-worthy plays, one interception. But it's not summed up in the one interception. Right. That was the that was what I was saying about Mahomes a couple of years ago. He had, he was like twenty-five to one halfway through the season, and I was like, well, the one could easily be nine. Right. Like, I mean, that's Josh not Allen the thing to look at.
0: Josh Allen has the same eight turnover-worthy plays, but he has nine interceptions. Yeah. Like sometimes the numbers don't. Necessarily track with where they should. Stroud's
1: Stroud's breakdown is interesting too. And it's come,
0: by the way, like, where it's, you know, what's the last thing you saw? Shouty show approach, right? It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable on Sunday. Yeah, the last thing we saw was the best game of his career and one of the best games of any quarterback in this season. So if all you care about is the last, you know, 72 hours worth of information,
1: yes, CJ
0: Stroud is MVP. If, however, you're looking at eight or nine games, you're like, no, he's not.
1: Well, yeah, Stroud has three other PFF grades under 60. Um, Just the previous week, he lost to the Panthers. They lost to the Panthers, right? And he got outplayed by Bryce Young, who has not been good this year. I mean, that's the last thing we saw from Stroud, though, was outstanding. And so, yeah, there is a way to say very impressed by Stroud. Unbelievable rookie season so far. Probably wouldn't put him in the MVP conversation, but I kind of get where that discussion's going because Houston was – Picking number two overall, doing nothing. And where most quarterbacks come in and struggle because they went to a bad team, C.J. Stroud is coming, coming in, and him plus Bobby, the scheme, elevating this entire group. Like, they shouldn't have a good offensive line. They shouldn't have a group of playmakers who are like, man, how are we going to cover all these dudes now? How are we going to cover Tank Dell and Nico Collins and Dalton Schultz? They, they shouldn't be doing that, but they are. Under Stroud. Um, this is the nature of the mid-season MVP stuff, though. Remember two years ago, Jonathan Taylor had a four-touchdown game. And everybody's like, well, maybe maybe Jonathan Taylor should be the most valuable player. Mm-hmm. Because I just saw him score four touchdowns. Right. And beat the Bills, who were really good that year. And maybe it's Jonathan Taylor. And that's the problem with the whole MVP thing. Like, if you didn't think the guy was the MVP the first eight weeks, whatever he did in week nine should not change your opinion. right? Nobody was like, man, Jonathan right. Taylor's MVP through eight weeks. But in Week ninety, you know, he's got to be the MVP. He just scored four touchdowns.
0: Yeah, so when you're, when you're dealing with, and this is just another rule why MVP is stupid, but if you're in the world of small sample size for MVP, like, hey, who's the first quarter MVP? Who's the first half MVP? I don't think one game can win you that award. But I think one game can be disqualifying. Like, if, you're in a, if, you're, if you've had five games and one of them was awful, you probably can't be MVP. Because that's no. 20% of your season has been bad.
1: I mean, we saw Rodgers have absolute duds for games and twice. But I win think twice. over a season,
0: maybe. But over a quarter, no, absolutely not. Over half, probably not. The smaller the sample size, the more disqualifying the
1: those bad games are. The one other thing about MVP that I'll say, um, a lot of people treat it like this horse race or whatever. we like, this guy's first, this guy's second, this guy's third. And they're all neck and neck. When sometimes that's not the case. I think right now that is the case. Like, if Tua goes and balls out or Mahomes goes and balls out, he could be like, oh, he's vaulted back to the top. Top That makes sense. But there's other times where the leader is so far in front, like, don't switch them week to week. Like, the leader can be in front for three straight weeks because he's so far ahead. Um, we don't necessarily have that going on right now. Um, some of the other awards Gordon went to. Offensive Player of the Year gives to Tyreek Hill from the Dolphins. I think Tyreek or A.J. Brown both have that strong case. Mm-hmm. Defensive Player of the Year, Miles Garrett and uh offensive rookie of the year cj stroud i'm good with that i think that makes sense defensive rookie of the year jalen carter of the eagles
0: yep uh, D- defense player of the year is just going to be a an absolute titanic battle all the way through the season i mean miles garrett is the guy for us you can yeah, you can make a pretty strong case for like six different guys and i don't think any of them is a yep. anything is wrong like if you said max crosby defense player of the year sure uh, you know, T.J. Watt, Dexter Lawrence, Micah Parsons, Nick Bosa, any of those guys have a pretty strong case. Like, it's insane how strong the field is for defensive player of the year.
1: Yeah, I, the Dexter Lawrence one's interesting. He's coming off of a, a rough game relative to what he had been doing. Um, no pressures last week. Right. After having 15. <laughs> but he's still sitting there with 44 pressures. For a, a nose season. tackle. For a nose tackle, right? On pace. I, I he has the same out.
0: number of pressures as Nick Bosa.
1: Yeah, that's that's absolutely insane. Um, from a real voting standpoint, people will still look at sack totals and they'll look at team defense impact. And there's no way at the end of the year that they're looking at the Giants defense being like, man, Dexter Lawrence, you know, he's the leader of this great defense. That'll probably disqualify him with real voters, but he deserves a shout-out. 92.3 overall grade, 92.2 pass rush grade at a position that is easier to double, more difficult to get pressure. And he's on pace for 80-plus pressures this year at nose tackle, which is crazy. That is a crazy number. That's a very good number for an edge rusher. It's, an, it's a very good number for any interior defensive lineman, outstanding number for any interior defensive lineman. It's out of this world for a guy who does line up predominantly straight over the center.
0: Yep, it's crazy. Zero
1: tech. I'm going to see how long we can keep the dead air. Oh, that's good podcasting. <laughs> I think Garrett's definitely the guy, though, right? I don't think there is a
0: definite guy. I mean, Garrett's playing outstandingly. For us, he is. Yeah, Garrett is playing outstandingly. I think you can make an argument for, as I said, half a dozen guys, and I don't think any of them are wrong.
1: Like it's, it's just too close. All right. I could find my next. Uh... Talking AG1 here, if I could find it. Let's talk a little AG1, Sam. We did have, we had somebody reach out looking for the promo code, looking for the link Mm -hmm. at AG1, so so listen up. We'll get it to you. Um, It's the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. We drink it every day here on the PFF NFL podcast. Love it because it gives us the daily nutrients to kick off the day. All All great athletes have that one thing in common. They take care of their bodies, and a huge part of that starts with optimizing whole body health. A lot of them also drink AG1. That's why we're all huge fans here. With every daily serving, we're setting setting ourselves up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give us the key daily nutrients to support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. It's that micro habit that delivers macro benefits and helps just about everybody take great care of their health every single day. So you just mix that one small scoop with water, drink it first thing every morning, drink it with my coffee, and you're done. I also like that it costs less than $3 a day. Pretty good, if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with high-quality sourced ingredients. A win-win for everybody here on the PFF NFL Podcast. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. So here's what you're going to do. You go to drinkag1.com PFF. That's drinkag1.com PFF. Go check it out. Get your free stuff and uh, support the podcast we appreciate everybody and appreciate the person that reached out looking for it mm-hmm. hopefully they enjoy their ag one yes um did we have an all pro team up there too yep where's that link where's that link? <laughs> got it anything stand out to you here all pro it's
0: just uh do you want to go through it okay
1: i'll just read it out mike reiner offense quarterback lamar jackson because we just gave him mvp lamar and josh allen Derek Henry at running back with Raheem Mostert. Tyreek Hill and C.D. Lamb. Uh, so Tyreek Hill and A.J. Brown at receiver with C.D. Lamb and Justin Jefferson coming in at second team. Travis Kelsey at tight end. Uh, Brandon Ayuk at flex. Christian Darasaw at left tackle. Left guard, Tyler Smith. Center, Jason Kelsey. Right guard, Kevin Dotson from the Rams. Great pickup by the Rams there. And then right tackle, Panay Sewell. Discuss.
0: Uh, I mean, I think there's a lot of
1: lot of common names there
0: yeah and there's also a lot of surprises there I think I mean Tyler Smith having the season he's having is something worth pointing out he is playing absolutely spectacularly this year not a surprise if you
1: have the draft model
0: okay okay just
1: saying Kevin Dotson at right guard is gonna be a shocking one for a lot of people Dotson's an interesting one because he he generally graded well for us as a pass blocker not so much in the run game Steelers always Felt like they were trying to replace him in the lineup. Mm-hmm. And, and then the Rams picked him up. And And again, say what you want. I mean, maybe the whole NFL disagrees with our grades, but he's performing extremely well per PFF grades with the Rams this year.
0: Derrick Henry is going to be a pretty surprising one, I think. Um, Derrick Henry over Christian McCaffrey. Zach Moss is second in rushing yardage in the NFL. Uh, who else is having a pretty crazy season? Mostert, obviously. um I mean, Henry being the guy at running back, I think, will raise eyebrows. But the yeah. good news is this is Gordon's team, so he gets the blame.
1: Yeah, go blame Gordon. Uh, defensive side, we have Dexter Lawrence, who we just talked about, as well as Quinn and Williams at defensive interior, ahead of both Jalen Carter and Aaron Donald. Edge, we have Miles Garrett and Nick Bosa as first team. TJ Watt and Max Crosby, as second team. Linebacker, we have Demario, uh, DeMario Douglas, Roquan Smith. With Quincy Williams of the Jets, who's having a great season. Um, And C.J. Mosley of the Jets, both as second team. So a lot of Jets here everywhere. Uh, Cornerback Jalen Johnson of the Bears, who's looking for a new contract. Paulson Adiba from the New Orleans Saints, making a ton of plays this year. Darius Williams of the Jags and Sauce Gardner of the Jets as second team. And then uh, safety Jesse Bates the third, And Javon Holland of the Dolphins as the first team safeties with Geno Stone of the Ravens and Antoine Winfield the Bucs as second team and then first team flex Trent McDuffie with another jet second teamer DJ Reed
0: yeah love uh love we we'll Ma- talk special teams <laughs> it's a whole segment of the show for that love Trent McDuffie getting in there as the the flex or a slot if you want to put him there um Jesse Bates Javon Holland I think are the two correct options and safety corner is interesting like that's kind of that's almost the same chaos of mvp there's not necessarily an absolute
1: lighting it up superstar but there's a lot of guys playing well such a volatile position that tends to change Debo's had some massive games for the saints mm-hmm. this year um as we're preparing jags are going to play the 49ers this week you've got a uh, darius williams who mentioned was second team grading extremely well at 85.5 the jags entire secondary playing pretty well as a group so darius williams deserves that shout out there, and then we mentioned Jalen Johnson of the Bears. He's having his best season by far and do a new contract. He was on the trading block, potentially. Um, but yeah, he's, he's playing really well. I think we, I think we're in this world where there's not a clear-cut number one corner in the NFL. Year over year. yeah. So those will tend to to fluctuate. We've talked about that the last couple of years. There was a stretch where it was Jair Alexander. I think the totality of the last few years, you would say it's Jalen Ramsey. Um, Doesn't mean it shows up every single year. Plus, you know, he's only played two games. Um, I think a guy like – I think Sauce Gardner is going to be in that conversation now. Is he the consistent top cornerback going forward, the guy that you would put at number one? I don't think everybody would agree with that, but I think he's got – um, a case to be that guy going forward uh, but it's not like I think when Sherman was in the league when Darrell Rebus right. was in the league when Stefan Gilmore was going through his run you could point to this one guy as the best I don't think we're in that world right now at corner
0: no and I'm not even sure it's possible anymore just given the nature of the position and, and the way football is right now some have questioned what Quinn and Williams is doing there given that he doesn't have any sacks by our numbers and 0.5 by the official NFL numbers Who's- I I, I don't believe we should name names. Um, But I would point out that number one, Quinton Williams, is by far the best run-defending grade uh, from an interior defender in the NFL, 90.1. And number two, though he doesn't have the sacks, he has 31 total pressures, which is one more than Justin Matabike, who has eight sacks on the season. It's one fewer than Chris Jones, who has seven sacks on the season by our numbers, I don't know what their official NFL numbers are. Remember, we don't award half sacks as half on the basis that it's dumb. Um, so the fact that he doesn't have any sacks or 0.5 official sacks does not mean he's
1: not playing well. Did you see the interview with his grandmother? No. The other night to kick off Monday Night Football? I did not. She was trying to tell him, to, you, need to, you need to tackle the quarterback. Mm. She was saying, you've got to get through that line. You gotta Although you've got to be sacks. careful
0: that you don't get roughing the passer,
1: apparently, if you do that. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's what Quinnen's doing. He knows where the NFL's going. You don't want to tackle. You don't want to hit the quarterback. You don't want to tackle the quarterback even within even in regulation th- for fear that you could rough him. Mm. So, Quinnen's smart. Just get the pressure. Let the other guys get the glory. Don't get any penalties. Right. No roughing penalties. Sensible. So, as always, there's way more than just sack totals, guys. You know that. We're not going to sort a guy by six out of his 393. Like, if he had six sacks instead of zero— on 393 snaps, mm-hmm. it's still 6 out of 393 snaps. And those sack totals are dependent on other stuff. Special teamers. Okay. What's your take on the punter? A.J. Cole's having a great year for the Raiders. Yeah? Yeah. Why? Punting well. <laughs> Chase McLaughlin for the bucks a kicker, a Bucks kicker. A bucks kicker. How about that? Uh-huh. How about that? Kevontae Turpin with the Cowboys had a bunch of returns. He's our return specialist. Miles Killebrew. Gordon used to be our uh, special teams guru here at PFF, so we always make sure to highlight the real special teamers. Not just this name stuff. Not just, oh, it's Matthew Slater, 1900-time pro bowler because it's Matthew Slater. This is grinding the film, including long snapper Chris Stoll. From which team, Sam? The Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, good job reading. Josh Harris got second team long snapper. That's the depth and detail that we go to at PFF, though. Beautiful. Perfect. Pretty good, huh? Yeah, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. All right.
0: Hopefully, uh, what's our punters or people to person in the Discord channel? Maybe he's uh, – I'll just see if he agrees. He backed <sighs> up our uh, – uh, who's the – Okay,
1: explain. What was our punter People guy? were asking for a Thomas Morstead. That's it, Thomas Morstead, yeah. Explain the grade. Yeah, which we yeah. – I didn't go back. Let's just let's take two minutes. It was two weeks ago. Oh, God. I didn't, I didn't go back and watch the punts. You watched some of them. <laughs> He had
0: he had this day where like three punts or something were down inside the five, which is a, like a historical outcome for a punter. This like the first time it's happened in a couple of years or something, and it generally doesn't happen. But he also had like what was it, eleven punts or something crazy, yeah. um, in the game, and. So it's interesting. Like people are like, ah, oh, your grades are terrible. Because he graded, it was above average. It was not an amazing grade, but an above average grade. And obviously he wins AFC Player of the Week or whatever because those awards are a joke. Um, and they're just determined by notable outcome rather than performance. Anyway, so Jets fans took this as yet one more slight against the Jets. They've become the new Steelers fans. You know the way the Steelers think we hate everybody in Pittsburgh? Right, well, that's the Jets now. P- PFF hates all things Jets, right? So this was just the latest example of a campaign by PFF against the New York Jets culminating in the headline of snubbing the punter yeah. with a bad grade or
1: an average grade, this not is, a great grade. This is where this is, the people that hate PFF, this is why they hate us. We're taking the fun out of the game.
0: By quantifying it?
1: By quantifying the punter here by
0: quantifying the punter yeah okay
1: i mean this is why people just want to appreciate that the dude had 900 punts inside the 10 or whatever he had right (laughs) so
0: he had 11 punts in the day right three of which i think landed inside the five now what was interesting now (laughs) you know there is grading every single position we've said several times on the show there are some grades that i think we have much more confidence in than others are some things that are easier to quantify and to, to grade than others um I don't know there's a single thing we do better than grading and quantifying punters as, as inconsequential as that is to most people. Uh, our grading for punters was, uh, we, the system was assisted and, uh, and consulted and sort of shaped, uh, improved by multiple NFL punters and some special teams coordinators and those kinds of things, right? So it's essentially this matrix of hang time, direction distance uh depending on where you are in the field it varies and all these kinds of things and so multiple nfl punters helped put this together and sort of verified that it's sound and it makes sense including thomas morstead there you go ding 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 so thomas morstead has personally consulted with and endorsed this specific punting matrix hear that, that jets
1: bloggers hear now- that
0: One of the critical tenets of this punting matrix is that punters, much though you will hear announcers claim the opposite every time they punt there, basically don't control the bounce of the ball, right? You hear all the time, oh, he put backspin on that one. Look at the English. It checked up inside the two. It's an amazing punt, right? They don't control it. Sometimes it's going to bounce forward. Sometimes it's going to kick right. Sometimes it's going to bounce back and you look like a superhero. They do not control that much as they might want to or there's, like, techniques to try and maximize it. They're basically at the mercy of luck, right? So if you drop a ball at the two-yard line, it might end up as a great punt. It might backspin and that's like a golf pitch, right? Or it might kick forward, bounce into the stands, and you look like an idiot. It's like, oh, that was a terrible punt. It's a touchback. It was awful.
1: Unless you kick it perfectly out of bounds. Yes. Which, like, the, which the matrix, right. matrix accounts for. If you exactly. kick it right over the two yard line out of bounds you'll get full credit for that correct if you drop one right on the two yard line the closer you get to the goal line as far as landing spot the less credit we will give you you're actually going to get deducted because more often than not that's going to become a touchdown. once you get very
0: close yeah and certainly when the field is wet the way it was in that game you control it even less because the, the ball isn't going to do what you want it to do when it hits the wet turf and skids now one of those punts that landed in or ended up inside the five. If you watch it bounce, it kicks right. Like, it lands somewhere, I don't know where it was, but reasonably close, and then kicks right and goes out of bounds rather than into the end zone. Like, it didn't do the thing that people claim is deliberate, this bank spin and checking up. It kicked right. Nobody in the world can do that. He just got lucky with the bounce. And it ends up being a great outcome, but not necessarily a great punt. So our guy, our one punting super fan that listens to the podcast— he went through and did his own grading and came to the same conclusion we did. It was a reasonable grade or reasonable
1: game, not an all-time historic great one. He just got all-time historic outcomes from it. That's 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 why people get mad, Sam. We took this fun punter game and said there's there's stuff out of his control that led to that when uh, Alvin Kamara had a 6 Rushing touchdown game, we said, well, there's, there's other stuff involved. There's the line. There's bad defense. There's opportunity. And we took the fun out of it. We're just taking the fun out of everything, Sam. And the thing is. But I think it was real.
0: I Morstead has probably had significantly better. I mean, he has had significantly better games than
1: that. Where oh, he, he he's always, received a
0: significantly better
1: grade. I, I think I remember the last time I checked punter grades, four, five, six, ten <laughs> years ago. He always seems to grade well with us, right? Yeah. Yeah. Morsted's good punter. Mm-hmm. But um, that was not necessarily. And he was good in that game. Just not amazing. Yeah just not the legendary game that maybe the um the results had yeah all right i gotta tell people about prize picks at some point but i don't have our lineup set No oh. so i want to wait till we have our lineup and then we'll tell them about it do we have a gm segment uh, in um we were going to talk to the nfl trend of scoring being down okay we have gm questions um <laughs> we do take uh hang time for punters is, yes is one of the questions so we're looking at That's hang part time. of the matrix so oh, we're looking pretty at, sure i said that yeah but just to remember so Where on the field the punt is happening. Right. Because there are different goals for an open field punt. Mm -hmm. We have four different types of coffin corner punts as far as location on the field. Right. Different levels of expectations based off all of those coffin corner punts. Hang time. um, Horizontal distance on the field is an important one. Because the closer you get to the sidelines, generally the better it is. The closer you get to the middle of the field, the harder it is for your gunners to get there. Mm -hmm. That's where when the guy drops it like right in between... Like, right in the middle of the field, and it bounces backwards, that is pure luck. That's actually not a great spot, to put it, because generally your gunners can't get there as easily. Generally,
0: unless you can put, like, an absurd amount of distance and hang time on it at the same time. I'm talking more for, like, coffin corner type stuff. Right, so you'll still, you know, you can still lose some um, marks, essentially, for it being right down the middle. But if you can put it to the moon and like a, like way downfield you can end up with a good grade for that it's not that you can't get a good grade for a punt that goes down the middle like this is the the sophistication of the matrix yeah sophistication it's a good, it's good. grading system it really is nfl punter approved including the one that we're talking about can i so the pff nfl podcast twitter account pff at pff nfl pod it tweeted out a little clip of the show right who is the mvp front runner was the tweet
1: I don't know what did we, what did we say in the video.
0: <laughs> it doesn't matter because the first reply was from somebody called I muted him. I Will muted NFL guy.
1: Seattle. No, get him out of here.
0: Is whoever supplies Steve with enough Jerry Curl to cover his big ass head.
1: That's apparently the league MVP right now. I muted him, so I don't know. What I I saying. can understand why, having seen that tweet. I just thought that was pretty funny. Uh, maybe I shouldn't mute because then I, un- I, I clicked view post. I was curious. <laughs> what did this person I muted say about me? I could see why I muted him. Yeah, yeah, I I
0: can see why you muted him now too.
1: We don't have time for that today. It's a okay. Wednesday show. we I think fun. you're fine. We do, but still. Uh, we're, in the, we're in the halfway point in the NFL. And uh, NFL trends. You want to talk? Scoring's down. It is. Why is it?
0: I don't know. You have explanations?
1: Potentially. I mean, so the, the scoring per game, per team.
0: Your previous explanation was
1: Jameis isn't playing anymore. Yeah, it's not really. That. Okay. Um, 21.7. Uh, let me see my number. It's the lowest per team point total since 2017. Um, We do have a graphic here, 21.7, lowest since 2017. And then before 2017, it's the lowest since 2009, 21.7. Okay. And so I think we're feeling that. It's also, it it was down a little bit last year, as you see there in the graphic. It was 21.9 per team last year. After a couple years of COVID year, 24.8, scoring was up a little bit with no crowds. And then in 2021, it was 23. So we're talking, you know, a point plus per team. On, you know, so both sides of the ball since just 2021. So what's the difference? Um, I don't know exactly. But, I mean, there's, there's, here, are the, here are the theories, right? <laughs> Great segment. <laughs> 2000, 2021 was the year that people thought, oh, we figured out the Chiefs' offense. Right. We're going to play more too high. We're going to make Patrick Mahomes patient. And we're going to play more zone. And the rest of the league seemed to catch on to doing that. I think that's, that was a league trend, I think, that started last year where you saw way more too high mm-hmm. shells. Safeties are playing deep. Not, they're trying not to give up the explosive play. And quarterbacks are dinking and dunking, taking the stuff underneath. So you're getting longer drives. You're getting um, – we mentioned this whole like success rate versus EPA per play. You're getting more successful plays. But a successful play on first and 10 could be five yards. Or it could be way more than five yards. You're getting way more of the five-yard plays, the six-yard plays. You're taking way more of the underneath stuff but far fewer explosive plays. And then we know that red zone defense is also through the roof this year or red zone offense is down. Um, I also think high level. The, the thing that I tried to predict a few years ago about quarterback play where the, the last era of football had a very a very clear group of elite quarterbacks and i think a very clear group of eight to ten quarterbacks who were very good almost year in year out right so you always you had brady manning rogers and breeze in the last era as the clear elites you had a clear second tier of quarterbacks i would say andrew luck when he was healthy big ben matt ryan philip rivers russell wilson um, and then even like the guys creeping into that group matthew stafford or cam newton we're still pretty good. And now I don't I don't think those lines are as clear right now. Um I don't, you know, you could say hey Mahomes is the clear number 1 quarterback if you were just ranking them, but he's also not playing the best this year or getting the best production, right? That'll still fluctuate just a little bit. I think you would say it's Mahomes, Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and maybe Lamar as the top 4 guys, but you still need more evidence before it's like definitively those top guys that are Higher than everyone else, I guess. So quarterback play across the board, I think, is just closer to the mean. But there's a lot of quarterbacks, I think, in that range, right? There's a lot of good, solid quarterbacks, but a lot of guys that teams are also ready to move on from. So I think there's a little quarterback play. There's a little scheme stuff going on here.
0: How much is – I mean, how much is just injuries to quarterbacks? Like you mentioned before. The 2017. Right. The 2017 year, every quarterback was hurt. The numbers are down. I mean, like – I, what is the total number of points? How much does Aaron Rodgers, on his own, move that number down? Because, like, the Jets have yeah. scored 62 points this year, right? If Rodgers is this quarterback, the league average is 120. They have to be league average, right? You scored more than that. Huh? How many points? 62. No, that's not the right number. That's what the offense says. Offense? 62? That it, can't be right. According to this, and this is your product I'm looking at here, the New York Giants have 60 and the Jets have 62. What product? Where are you even seeing that? Ultimate in the team offense bar charts for points scored
1: this year. That doesn't seem right at all. Well, that's fine. They have 132. Out. We don't do points per game very well. Oh, okay. So your product is broken. They've scored 132 points. Yeah. That's great. So let's Second lowest in the NFL, by Right, way.
0: which is where they are. And in that your, includes in defense and
1: punting and the whole thing. Yes. Well, that's what Hummer. I'm saying. So how much is it the offense? I mean, the defense hasn't scored 60 points. I know that. Or 70 points. Anyway. Sorry. Whatever the
0: answer. number is, they are second worst in the NFL. Let's assume that with Rodgers in there, they jump back towards being at the minimum above average. Is Rodgers on his own moving that needle enough that the number is... Like, what was the difference between this year and last year? It was pretty small, right? I mean, like, it's Rodgers account for that? It's probably not just Rodgers. But- in addition to Rodgers, you've got... Deshaun Watson has been hurt half the year. Ryan Tannehill has been hurt. Joe Burrow um, playing hurt. Joe playing Burrow has hurt. been playing hurt for right. a chunk of the season. Uh, like who, There's been some other pretty big quarterbacks down for extensive periods of time. Like How much of it can be explained by just that? I think
1: that's probably... Arizona haven't had Kyler Murray all season? Like, I think the injury factor is, is probably the biggest driver. I think there are some interesting schematic trends that might lead to less explosive plays, fewer explosive plays. But I do think ultimately it is quarterbacks not playing. Now, there were injuries last year, too. There have been injuries the last couple years. But 2017, the last year that it was that low, that was where, like, Carson Wentz was potentially an MVP candidate. Gets hurt around week 13, week 14. And Rodgers was hurt that year. It was a lot of injuries Mm -hmm. coming out of that year.
0: Um, I mean, I think there is something to what we talked about before, the league – pivoting towards a style of defense that takes away explosive plays forces quarterbacks to be more patient all those kinds of things the other element that's probably a factor that i don't know if it's cause or effect thing but offensive lines are bad like we've been this trend now for a while of there is an offensive line crisis in the nfl they've been getting progressively worse overall the depth has been evaporating and i don't think it's a coincidence that We talked about there's half a dozen guys who could win defensive player of the year. I mean, there are edge rushers and pass rushers everywhere, and there aren't enough offensive linemen that can contain it. So how much is that actually driving the shift in offense away from, like we saw what happened when the Jets tried to just drop back and pass the ball. It was like annihilation, right? There are teams out there that cannot play that way because they don't have the offensive line to block for
1: it. I think where you feel that, maybe I'll try to look this up, I think where you do feel that is on third down because we are in this world where we keep talking about the Shanahan tree and everything, and they probably do the best job of protecting offensive lines. We just mentioned Houston on paper. Miami on paper should not have a great offensive line. Uh, 49ers, even just from a grading standpoint for us, again, you can disagree with the grades, but from a grading standpoint, the Niners don't necessarily have a great offensive line, but they have incredible offensive production because that scheme knows how to essentially mitigate Offensive line woes, I would say, where you really feel the offensive line issues is on third down, and I think I think what teams are doing is protecting their uh, their quarterbacks and protecting them as much as they can on first and second down with play action and movement and you know tr- uh, getting rid of the ball quickly will protect them. But on third down, when you have to pass, that's where the offensive line woes you're talking about. You really do feel it. Right when it when it is third and long, and it is funny too. You ever watch? It's tough to do when you're watching the flow of a game. But if you watch a team and watch like 10 straight third and six plus, and just watch 10 straight plays of an offense or a defense, it is a different football game. I was talking to Seth Galina when we were at the game the other night about some of this stuff. Third down is like a whole different world from first and second down. It, like, that's how offenses and defenses treat it. Defenses say, whole new package. We're going to crowd the line of scrimmage. We're going to disguise coverage. We're going to do all these different things. We have a specific third down package. It's a whole different world. And offenses do seem to struggle with it because you have to have extra blitz protections get challenged more. One-on-one pass protection gets challenged more. And we do have a lot of young quarterbacks as well, a lot of young first- and second-year starters around the league. And I think all of that stuff's probably adding up.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's this interesting dynamic because people sort of look at the explosion of passing in today's NFL and think, well, it's, sacks have never been um, easier to get. Because look at how much more teams are passing. I sent you that. I tweeted it out as well. Like the, back in 2004, there was a graphic dumping on Andy Reid for having the temerity to pass the ball in the red zone, right? The rest of the league like, runs the ball way more than they pass the ball in the red zone. Andy Reid was out here slinging it like it was 2023, right? 20 years ago. And people were ridiculing him for it. Um, so everyone's like, well, all the extra passing attempts now – it's way easier to get sacks. That's why all these guys' numbers are going through the roof. But so many of the pass attempts that exist now are not plays where you can get a sack on them. They're quick, immediate passing. It's not like everyone has just increased the number of plays where they're dropping back with seven-step drop from under center and holding the ball for three seconds until somebody uncovers 25 yards downfield. Like, so many of them are screens or instant passes or RPOs or things that the pass rush has no real chance of making a play on but their pass attempts so I, I kind of wonder: number one like how much of that is a factor number two how much of that is designed because offensive lines aren't where they used to be like we've actually the decline in the ability to pass block is so, is driving some of this stuff
1: yeah I think there's there's definitely elements of both um, and that's where I, I wonder that's why we always said creep back toward average on the offensive line but I do wonder if now, is there more of a tipping point when you, that there is more value in just having a good offensive line? Because now, against the rest of the league, you have an advantage, right? Part of, part of this was, hey, there's at least 20, good 20 reasonable offensive lines at any given point, point six, seven, eight years ago. Now, if that's only 8 or 10, you have an advantage, I guess, if you have one of those 8 or 10. Whereas before, it's like, just don't be terrible. When you're terrible... You can't run offense, but um, yeah. Anyway, anything else? Any other trends that uh, that stand out so far this year? Uh, I think the I think the quarterback parity is interesting. I think the scoring being down is somewhat interesting and explained by quarterback parity, quarterback injuries, and a little bit of schematic stuff. The fantasy people are very upset with this.
0: That scoring is down. Yeah. Okay. Um there was also that uh the quick motion stuff that Miami torched everybody with for a few weeks and is being adopted throughout everywhere else but is not obviously in and of itself a an offensive cheat code it's not a cheat code um I'm but doing... it is wor- like it is it's a thing that works and other teams are stealing it
1: yeah they're stealing it but it's not this like I mean, for Miami, it looked like a cheat code for a while. Right. but It's, it's, it's not, not like you adopt
0: that and like the Cardinals aren't adopting that yeah. motion and suddenly they're a top-five offense. We're seeing
1: more brotherly shove iterations and tush-push stuff or whatever. Yeah, though nobody else is any good at it still. They're not as good at it, yeah. I'll, I'll stand by the idea that the QB sneak package can work. Spread to sneak, tight sneaks, I mean, big gap A-gap. Like regular QB sneaks. Yes. Yeah. The regular QB sneak with having four or five different sneak options and you can get similar results. Just work on it. Like, your quarterback should work on that stuff. The fact that nobody else it, can
0: do that play effectively is reason enough to not ban
1: it, in my opinion. There were some Chiefs fans I saw, t- you know, Eric tweeting through it the other day. Um, <laughs> well, he was quote-tweeting someone who was like, the third and one the other day, where the Chiefs rolled Mahomes out when it was like, they're, they're in their four-minute drill when they're trying to run out the clock, and he's showing the replays of both A-gaps wide open. Yeah. And then it's like pre-snap, they're wide open. The Chiefs. And then he showed post-snap, and it was like the D-tackles weren't even pinching. They were even more wide open, and Mahomes literally just needs to fall forward. And it is fascinating that because he got injured once— They've got to get over that. In 2019. That is, that's costing them games. I, I do wonder. This is something to keep an eye on. Like, you, they have so much—so many struggles. Like, when teams give the Chiefs problems— it's when you go back through the game and you say the Chiefs are turning the ball over and they were too creative on third and short. Now, when they make a third and short, it's like, man, Andy Reid's in his bag. Reid's in his bag here. Look at this crazy right. play. But when they start to go like. They're just making it too They difficult. do a lot of tight end sneaks yep. instead of Mahomes. They do a lot of other stuff. But at some point, I do wonder in the big games and in the playoffs if they just let Mahomes fall forward when it's there. They have
0: to. Like at this point, I understand why they're doing it. They have seen firsthand the worst case scenario for that play, which is your quarterback gets injured trying to pick up one yard when you could have got it in a different way. Having said that, that doesn't happen very often. A quarterback almost never gets hurt on a QB sneak. Certainly not the way he got hurt, like a knee injury. Usually if a quarterback gets hurt, it's because he gets clocked in the head trying to jump over a pile or whatever, right? He doesn't tend to get hurt the way Mahomes got hurt. So honestly, I would look at that if I'm the Chiefs and say, this is like an absolute freak thing that happened to us once it's never happening again we can't abandon the idea of a qb sneak because our qb got hurt this one time we're making our own lives just way too difficult relative to other teams who just rock up and pick up the first down because there's an open space in the a gap like it's I, i mean the chiefs are so good maybe they can get away with it but you are costing yourself an easy conversion quite
1: regularly by not doing this yeah, I mean, if, if the Chiefs are annually going to be the best team in between the 20s, and then when they do get into the tight red zone, historically, they'll manufacture a lot of touchdowns. But like any team, that tends to fluctuate a little bit. So if the Chiefs are going to be the best team in between the 20s year over year, the difference you know, in winning or not winning might just be short yardage in red zone every single season and making sure that you're doing a good job there and, and tapping into Mahomes just falling forward. Might be, uh, might be the key there. All right, so I am going to tell us about, tell everybody about our friends over at Prize Picks. Um, so tomorrow night, you're, I, I need to get your opinion on this one. The Prize Picks projection for Jonathan Mingo is thirty-three and a half yards. No, no. Jonathan Mingo against the Bears, and as we know, we can we can pick more or less. Yeah. And as a Jonathan Mingo fan, yes. Are you going to go more or less for Mingo tomorrow night in prime time? Thursday night football against the Bears. Hmm.
0: 35 and a half, you say. 33 and a half. 33 and a half. Yeah. So he has exceeded that twice this season. Once against the Detroit Lions and once against the Houston Texans. He is coming off a game in which he had five yards. Yeah. Uh, I will lean under that.
1: Less. Yes less you're gonna go less than 33 and a half less than 33 and a half yards for jonathan mingo well you can make these same decisions over at prize picks and now with basketball season here you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from a specials league a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues so for example lebron james plus travis kelsey kelsey a 10 and a half combo of three points made plus receptions want to play alongside you know these guys some Mm. of prize picks favorite players like rapper meek mill and comedian Andrew Schultz. You want to do that, Sam? You can now find community plays under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the PrizePix community each week. Maybe you can go head-to-head with Sam. PrizePix even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second half, that player is rebooted. PrizePix is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. So you can go to prizepix.com pffnfl Use code PFFNFL, and you get a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL. Use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. All right, man, do we have any other other email? I cannot speak words in order today. Hmm. Do we have any other emails? Yeah, we got a couple. uh, We have general manager,
0: Stephen Palazzolo questions. Consultant general manager. Yeah, multiple. Do
1: I go? Should I go to the podium?
0: I believe you should go, yeah. I think we can we put up your... There the you press go. is here. There I'm it is. To go. Now you haul ass across there. This is how this works. Yeah. The building shakes as you lumber across the studio.
1: <coughs> How's everybody doing today? It's good to be here at the podium. I'll uh, take your questions now.
0: Okay. Uh, which one do you want to do first? The Discord question of
1: the week or the other one? start with the Discord question of the week. Is there anything on Connor Stallions in Michigan? There is not, no. The Michigan manifesto? No. I'm intrigued by what's happening over there. The
0: Discord question of the week. This one came in from somebody called Charter. It's like four R's there. Uh, Now, it came in before the Josh McDaniels, uh, you know, situation. Yeah. Question for GM, consultant GM Palazzolo. We've reached the point where it is clear I, the owner of the Raiders, will be making a new head coaching hire in the offseason. My team has been rebuilding for the last two seasons with nothing but a pissed off Devontae Adams to show for it. We're picking in the 8 to 12 range. I think they're 14 now. Uh, my roster is top, heady, top heavy and, uh, in theory, is at least a year or two away from competing. How much do you value having the face of the franchise to start to rebuild around, especially for selling tickets? and hope for the fan base, such as Carolina or Houston have, even if you're years away from competing versus building up the roster and dropping a rookie quarterback in two or so years down the line. By the time the roster is good enough to drop a quarterback in, your true difference-makers in Devontae Adams is likely gone, and Max Crosby will be approaching 30 years old. Thanks.
1: All right, so we're talking the debate of take a quarterback right now versus, you know, a couple years from now. Right. Um, that one's interesting because I think, uh, remember the Browns a few years back, before they, they, they passed on several quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes and uh, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, they traded out of those options. And then they landed at Baker Mayfield. And by the time Mayfield got there, the infrastructure was much better. And he had more success right off the bat, or at least he should have had more success too. Um, I don't hate that approach. But I do think you still take your swings at quarterback. The the way you build the rest of the infrastructure though for every team, I got to draft twelve times a year. Got to draft a ton every single year. Give me thirty six draft picks over the course of a three year period. Three three of them could still be on quarterbacks, but you have enough draft capital that you are building the infrastructure and taking shots at quarterback. And I think you'll know. I mean, you might you might stumble into a guy like a Stroud who is coming to a situation that doesn't look like it's ready yet. Um, Texans would argue that it was. Uh, and, and elevates guys, or you could be like, hey. We drafted Bryce Young. Maybe he's not the guy. I don't know. We'll move on get the next guy. i just keep drafting quarterbacks, though. I would play that game. And um, I'd hope for the franchise and selling tickets. I don't know. If you're a billionaire, man, how much do you care? Like, do I, have to, do I sell Devontae Adams? Because we have to. Like, we're, we're trying to win. Because the other thing is, in that division, you're competing with the Chiefs, right? You have to compete with the very best team in the NFL, the team that's set up to be the best team in the NFL for the for foreseeable future. You can't just be good enough. Right, If you're in the NFC South and there's not a, a great future, maybe you try to compete a little bit quicker. I think you got to take your time, though, in the AFC West. Make sure you get it right. You sell your Devontae Adams. I don't know. Max Crosby I'll probably want on the team, though. I want that dude part of my rebuild. Because
0: so. one of the interesting stories or, or reports to come out of the Raiders camp since the Josh McDaniels thing is, is McDaniels was like the only guy that wanted Jimmy G. Dave Ziegler apparently wanted no part of that. Yeah. He wanted just a bridge quarterback. He wanted what we were talking about, right? What we kind of assumed Jimmy G was, which is a bri- okay, we didn't get a quarterback in 2023. Maybe we were never really looking for one, but 2024 is a great QB class. Just get us to 2024. Yeah. That's what the the bridge was supposed to be that Dave Ziegler and everybody else wanted. And instead, McDaniels wanted Jimmy G as the answer, not as a bridge to the next guy in 2024, but as his QB much the way you know and obviously that went to hell but if you're so if you're the raiders now are you back looking for a bridge or are you just doesn't really matter we're looking we're going to build a fr- we're going to build a roster and then drop a qb in in the future
1: no i think you you probably need a bridge while you're evaluating the next guys i mean the the trouble there with the raiders is right when they got there the same thing i just said about the chiefs in the year that they decided we're going to go trade for Devontae adams and signed Chandler Jones to a massive contract was the same year you knew the Chiefs were there, the Chargers were loading up, and the Broncos traded for Russell Wilson. So say what you want. It looked like the other three teams were way ahead of you in the short term. So going into the 2022 season, instead of saying, hey, in 21 we made the playoffs, we're a playoff team, let's just get better, blow it up in 22, don't make those long-term plays. Then they'd be set up for sitting here going into 24, they could have had that roster, in the, you know, the second-best position in that division, potentially. That's what they have to do now, I think. Think about two years from now, and that's it. Be the, be the team that can compete with the Chiefs in two years. Do what the Lions did. Take your time. And I know the Lions went infrastructure first, and then they found their Jared Goff. But you still—you right. you, you, could do both. Take your swing at quarterback and build up everything else around it.
0: All right. Um, so, this next email— Came in anonymously, but it was from a Johnson & Johnson email address. Dear consultant GM Palazzolo, I have a (coughs) friend who owns a professional sports team. His team has struggled in recent years, and in this offseason they went big in an attempt to change that, trading for one of the league's best players over the last 15 years. The star player lasted just a few plays before being injured, and they were forced to turn back to the previous starter, a.k.a. the problem. Since that point, no matter how much my friend questions them they've been steadfast in their support of the problem player in your role as a consultant general manager how would you advise my friend the sports team owning billionaire to proceed with those in charge of the team any and all resemblance to actual real life situations is purely coincidental
1: (laughs) so you're saying there's a backup quarterback maybe not playing all that well now on a team that might otherwise be good and or dominant on defense correct Okay. Yeah, this is a tricky one here. <laughs> um, I think it's, I, I think it's a, the challenge here is separating, let's say a Robert Sala, as a head coach, just hypothetically. Uh-huh. I think it's tough separating everything that they've built there, in this hypothetical place, the New York Jets, hmm. which appears to be good, right? I mean, if you, if you dropped Jared Goff, on the Jets right now the same way the Lions have Jared Goff, are we speaking about them differently? Forget Aaron Rodgers, just say Jared Goff. Have the Jets, hypothetically, done the same level of good that the Lions have done building that team? Now, the offensive line, we got some, we got some issues there. But everything, the defense has been outstanding. Like, everything else is pretty good. Sorry. Getting nervous at the podium here. So, did I screw up the shot? Then, if the head coach... Like, if his biggest woe is decision making on the quarterback, I got to step in. I got to step in and say, look, we can win. We could have won this year. You know, we could have won with the Jacoby Brissett. We could have won with uh, a Josh Dobbs. Maybe they should have traded for Josh Dobbs. Now, it's a, it's a tricky one because this uh, hypothetical team put all their eggs in one basket. And I think they might just have to suck it up this year and, you know, hope that they get Aaron Rodgers back next year, hypothetically. Hmm. It's a tough answer. Yeah. I think everything that they've done has been more good than bad, and but I would hate to just judge the coach and the things that they've built there by sticking with the backup quarterback too long. If that's the worst decision he's made, we can we can get around with we can get around that.
0: Well, that's the thing. So, like, because they are so, if you're if you are a team owning billionaire presented with this situation, at some point you just walk in there and, and Crack some heads and lay down the law and say, "Look, enough of this. Zach Wilson isn't the guy."
1: But what's the other option?
0: Anything, anything. What are the other options. Like
1: I don't care what the answer is. Just make a change. Any change. And then what's a successful season? I know. I know Rogers thinks he's going to come back this year or whatever it might be. But what's a successful season? Can you, you go nine and eight? You know, if they had a Jacoby Brissett and you go nine and eight, are you going to sacrifice? I mean, there's there's a there's an element of get to next year, and assume rogers is going to come back and you do you really want to give up draft capital that's going to help that uh, rebuild that offensive line get a little younger at receiver um i i feel like they got to think about next year and just say man we had some bad luck dude fell over and f- after four plays what are we <laughs> going to do that's it
0: hmm
1: i see that's get the to next season i don't
0: I, they're in a tough situation, and you can argue there's no win, right? There's there's no there's no good to come from this. You're, yeah. You had you anticipated Aaron Rodgers. There was a world where Rodgers even acts as a mentor, and you know makes like almost fixes Zach Wilson. Maybe brings Wilson around in a year or two years time, and all of that went out the window after four or five snaps or whatever it was on that first game. So you're screwed. There's no fixing that. But it's the steadfast refusal to look facts in the face. (laughs) And like, yeah, you know what? It's just not Zach Wilson. Like, anything, anybody else. Somebody else. Make a
1: change. Doesn't matter. That is a bottom five offensive line that's had to be shuffled and reshuffled. And it looked like they were in the right trajectory, O-line-wise, until this offseason. When Joe Douglas first got there, hypothetically, they started with the line piece by piece for a couple years. And then they hit a lull, right, and, and, and thought, put too much stock in 36-year-old Dwayne Brown or whatever he is, Makai Becton's knees. They put too much stock in those guys. That was the failure. And now if you compound that by saying, all right, we need these quick fixes, we got to bring in Jacoby Brissett or bring in Josh Dobbs and giving up draft capital to do that, you're going to lose the ability – that you need to restructure the line, get younger at receiver, replenish on defense going into next year because that you're, gonna, you're still trying to compete with the Jets and – I'm sorry, the Dolphins and the Bills next year. So you've got to suck it up this year, and it's okay. All
0: right. There we go. Good work, uh, Consultant GM. That's uh, hopefully our anonymous friend from the Johnson & Johnson email address will will learn and have some information from this that and like maybe,
1: maybe make some decisions. Johnson & Johnson employee. <laughs> I mean the Jets situation. So it's a tough one.
0: Right? Yeah, it's as I say. I I have a lot of sympathy for their situation in terms of as soon as Rogers went down, everything you had planned just went to hell. But it's the fact that I don't think just steadfastly sticking with Zach Wilson is the right move. Like I think at some point, at some point you have to make a change. He's demanding that you make a change, and. I mean the the Dobbs thing makes it look even worse to so the Vikings for the cost of trading down from the sixth to the seventh round, bring in a guy that can keep that team alive. Like, does Josh yeah. Dobbs coming into the Jets improve the situation versus Rogers or versus Wilson and the two quarterbacks that they evidently won't play over Wilson, right? They have Tim Boyle as a backup and Trevor Simeon as a backup. And they're like, No, we're not putting either of those guys in. Well, at which point Go find a Dobbs or Jacoby Brissett was probably available for something. Maybe too much. But, like, there were moves that could have been made that they have refused to make in lieu of, like, no, Zach will get us through. But he isn't.
1: Yeah. Another 59. He's got a 59 grade this year. It looked like he'd he'd had a three-game stretch grading in the 60s and 70s, but back into the 50s the last two weeks for Wilson. Right, And you feel, again, you see it. You feel
0: it. With a defense that knows – this is the dynamic. Like, we can play out of our minds in a game and still lose by double digits because the team stinks on offense. Like, yeah. that's unhealthy for a roster. And, again, I understand— I'm intrigued
1: by Wilson still if there was a better <laughs> line in front of him. I think this situation is— Like, he's it's not untanem. great. He's not progressing. And it's not a great right. situation outside of throwing to Garrett Wilson. So—
0: in that situation, I just don't think that burying your head in the sand and saying, no, this is the best we can do is the right option. Like I think at some point it almost doesn't matter that you might not be able to find a different solu- a better solution. The point is you need to try because half the team is over here saying, dude, throw us a lifeline here. We're killing teams on defense and it still doesn't matter. And you're like, nope, this is what we're doing. That's not helping. Like you need to just try something. It doesn't even matter if you succeed. The, try, the act of trying extends your, you know, the belief on defense. Because they're like, all right, we can buy into this for a few weeks. And then in a few weeks, then you've got to try and do it again. But,
1: like, just going, no, Wilson's the guy is not going to work. The other struggle is it's, we always talk about how difficult it is to project good defense year over year. And so you could say, well, the Jets were awesome last year. There'll be some regression this year. And there hasn't been right. at all. They've been better. Outstanding. So now it becomes: Can they actually do it a third year, right? Um, you get one year older. You know, guys like C.J. Mosley are getting any younger. All the guys that are playing great are either one year toward getting paid or just getting too old. Can you keep it going one more year for when a forty-one-year-old Aaron Rodgers comes in? You know, that's where the Jets are right now. Our friend, uh, anyway, our friend Joe Banner didn't think that the. Um, the Jets made the right move bringing in Rodgers because the O-line wasn't in a good spot. Yeah, I don't – I'm fine with it because, again, the alternative was go get Derek Carr yeah. and free agency. So they took a big swing. And when you take a big swing, sometimes when you miss, and this ends up becoming a one-year miss, you just have to suck it up for a year, and it's uncomfortable. And that's And that's
0: – you know, whatever happens going forward, the offensive line is now, like, priority A. I mean, whether or not – like, I asked a question to Trevor yesterday. I mean – is this thing even any good if Rodgers is the quarterback if he didn't get hurt? Like I'm that curious offensive to see what he
1: does behind that line. Yeah. I mean, he would have way, way more answers. He'd sure. get rid of the ball quicker. But when, when Rodgers is your quarterback, the standard is, like, we think we're, we're going to be able to win a Super Bowl. Right. So every year we analyzed the Packers. We said, are his playmakers good enough? We mm-hmm. thought the line was good enough. Are his playmakers good enough? You could ask both questions for the Jets. Does he have enough besides Garrett Wilson? And does he have enough? This would be the worst offensive line he'd played behind yeah. ever the way they're playing right now. So I don't think we've – I don't think the offense would be that good either way. Yeah, so like their, their biggest task is
0: going to be in the offseason overhauling an offensive line and making it halfway decent so that if Rodgers comes back next year, you know, off the Achilles and at, at
1: that age, it can still work. Chat says Sam Darnold back in New York would be better than Zach Wilson. But that's probably not I mean, incorrect. Grading-wise, that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else to add to this? No. All right. Well, tomorrow, the real long show. We're going to preview every single game. 14 games this weekend. We've got Germany games. We have a nice, beautiful six-game, 1 p.m. window. It's my favorite. 6 p.m. I mean, six 1 o'clock games. Four in the 4 o'clock window. Great. Great. Uh, diversity in the schedule this week. Mm. So we'll preview all those games tomorrow. Uh, Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow with more PFF NFL Podcast.